What's up, guys? Rick here with your DFS preview for the Mayakoba Championship, the Worldwide Technologies Championship at Mayakoba, not to be confused with the Mayakoba Classic, not to be confused with the OHL Classic at Mayakoba. No, I guess they all could be confused because it is the same tournament uh, being held at the same course, but it's basically changed names every single year. A quick couple of items out of the gate here. Uh, number one, if you saw a video that I released last week, we are full steam ahead on creating uh, season-long fantasy golf that very much replicates fantasy football, right? Weekly um, with with waiver wires and trades and setting your lineups and, and all that fun stuff. So um, I'm going to host it. So, there, th- so I want to be clear. Um, I'm hosting like five leagues. There's going to be a lot more. Uh, you might get in some of my leagues, you might not, but there's going to be a lot of opportunity to play competitively within the community. So I'm going to host, uh, mine on fan tracks. I've offered up a template to people on how to get involved with this. Uh, if you want to get involved, there is a very, very simple Google form that you can fill out that will, enter your interest. I'll put the link in the description so that you can click through. It'll take you like five seconds to fill this out. It's just going to ask you your name, your email address to get in contact with you. Are you willing to be a league commissioner and what your desired buy-in is? Um, If you're willing to be a league commissioner, that means you're willing to kind of do the setup, get everything in order for a league, host a league, so on and so forth. If you're not willing to do it, that's fine. And also, I'd rather find out now that you're not willing to do it uh, than to find out in January when we're trying to start this thing that you were unable or unwilling to actually pull it off. So uh, fill out the form. There are, uh, at first run, we got 113 commissioners. So those commissioners right now are going through and they are creating leagues on fan tracks and they're creating them with all different settings, snake draft, auction draft, um, all different size of leagues. I saw one that was like a 16 teamer earlier today. We're putting all of that together. And then in hopefully maybe a week or two, we're going to be able to say, okay, uh, here's a, a, a spreadsheet of all of the leagues that are available. Click and go find ones that are right for you. And then you can join those leagues. So, um, should be a lot of fun if we can pull it off. It is a massive project. So people who are the commissioners, um, you know, major hat tip to you guys. It's, uh, it's a lot of work that we're going to try to figure this out with, but we're going to try to do it. Cause I think it's going to be a lot of fun. The other big item, if you did not play last week or you missed a show last week, I did release uh, the new custom model. So this is fun. It's 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 incredibly uh, more robust. It's it's a, another big project, but that's that's new on RickRunGood.com. Um, there were tiny little bumps in the road. I think for the most part, it, I'm I'm very thrilled with the way that it performed. The one thing that I think tripped people up was um, how zoomed in they were on their browser. So I I made note of this. So if you're very far zoomed in, like 150% on your browser, it's a little more difficult to see where you put the weights in or to see like the download button after you... um, after you run your lineups, if you just zoom out, so you can either do that like in the settings of your browser or on most browsers, if you hold control and use your mouse's scroll wheel, uh, it will zoom you out. Uh, if you zoom out a little bit, that ends up fixing all the problems. So I just use it at like 100%. We'll make adjustments on this in a future version, depending on how you're zoomed in, but uh, very easy fix out of the gate. 
if you're if you're really zoomed in or having trouble seeing it, it obviously only impacted a, a handful of people. But I figured, um, hey, if you were having that question, there's your answer. Okay, um, let's talk about the golf course, and we'll go through everything else about this field. As Victor goes for not one, not two, but three Mayakoba championships in a row. Let's go. El Chameleon. Yes, we're going to Mexico. Um, this resort is great, by the way. We stayed near this resort, not this exact one, but we saw just splendid stuff. Um, anyway, here's what we've got. We've got decent course history because we've been here for a while and it's actually a pretty strong field, all things considered, right? You've got Victor, you've got Morikawa, you've got Scotty Scheffler, you've got Tony Finau, uh, all, all good there. Over the years, the most correlated stat to success around El Chameleon is driving accuracy. Uh, there are only four other courses in which driving accuracy has been more important than at El Chameleon. I think we can lean on course history quite a bit, right? You're, we're going here at the same time of year. We're getting a, a, a similar type of field and the course we've got enough data on, we can lean on course history. But you'll see, as far as the rankings go, as, as far as the model goes, uh, accuracy is really the only thing that stands out here. Obviously, it's not the only path. Obviously, there's you know other ways to get it done, other things that are going to end up being important this week. But that's that's all the data that we have, just pure um, pure numbers, no narrative, nothing. I'll show you the scorecard here because there are a couple of, of of noteworthy factors. So it's a it's a par seventy one. You go out in thirty six, you come in in thirty five, which means there's only three par fives, not the four par fives. But I think the one thing that you'll note here, um, the par threes are quite short by PGA Tour standards, right? We have one, number 10, that's like 200 yards on the scorecard. Then you have 15, that's 155. Eight, that's 151. That's like wedge nine iron for these guys, right? And then you have number four, 116. It reminds me of that, um, there was a hole at Brookline. I cannot remember the number. 12, 11, 12, something, something like that. That was like that short little downhill. It can kind of wreak havoc on some guys, right? Which is like, oh, this is in between numbers for me. I have to hit a little flip wedge down. It's it's fun. It's interesting. But it's noteworthy that three of these par fives are pretty short. So you're talking about probably wedges into those. You look at the rest of this. It's, you know, 440 yard par fours, if not shorter, basically everything um, outside of 16 is 450 or below. So you're, you're, you're looking at a lot of driver wedge, as long as you can keep yourself in play off the tee, keep yourself in position, give yourself a look at, um, the scoring opportunities that you're going to get around here. And then the other thing that I'll note, because this comes up just a couple of times a year. But when we go to some of these tropical locations, we get a strain of grass called paspalum. It is a thicker, wider blade. Uh, they generally have to run it slower on the stimp because it's usually found at like the Puerto Rico open or, um, you know, if you go to like the Bahamas or, uh, Bermuda or something like that, where it is, it is generally a seaside, uh, strain of grass. Cause it does better for like salt water and, and, and harsher conditions and stuff like that. The problem is, um, we don't, usually get putting stats for those events because they're usually events that are outside the United States and they're usually events where the PGA Tour does not take shot links. So we can look at Paz Palum history, which is what I'll do here. If you go to uh, the Holy Grail and you look at, I don't know, last five, go back to 2019 or whatever you want and click on Paz Palum, we can find the best players in this field 
on the surface, but we're not always going to get the strokes gained putting data. You'll see the only place that we have um, recently has Paul on putting data is the PGA championship in 2021, which would have been uh Kiowa, right? A, a seaside, a seaside course. So what you could do is you could look at guys that play well on pass Palom and kind of say, okay, maybe they put better on it. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a stretch, um, but that's, that's available to you. Like Aaron wise, we've got two measured pass Palom putting weeks for him. Uh, he's gained strokes putting in both of those, but he's got other good results on Paz Palom, which is like, okay, he's probably putting well. So we're taking a little bit of a leap there, but I did want to cover that because um, it's likely to come up many times this week. The data's a little bit hairy. At least now you should have a better idea of um, how that data comes in, whether it's available or not, and maybe some actionable items for it. Okay. Let's jump into the cheat sheet and start breaking this field down. All right, the cheat sheet. One, two, three, four, five, six golfers. Over 10,000 bucks. Um, Scheffler, Hovland, Morikawa, Finau, Wise, Horschel. We've kind of been talking about this a lot recently, but we are still very much in this just chalk run of winners and guys who are very expensive paying off. Last week, Seamus Power, which, oh, by the way, not, not great for me, um, wins over $10,000. So let's let's look this up. Um, we'll go to the Holy Grail, go to Fantasy Data. I don't know the exact start time of this, but I know like it's been like 25 events. So let's just go, I don't know, let's go back to like April, which like the Masters-ish, like when Scotty started rolling, that's probably when this started. I don't know that for sure, but let's just kind of look at this together here. Um, I'm going to sort by all the winners since then. So give me a second. It's a little slow when I have my screen recorder oh, when I have my screen recorder up because it uh, takes a lot of resources. But let me let me sort this by position and then kind of just look through how many <clears throat> winners over $10,000. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, Barbasol, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 11 out of 28 winners going back to April 1st have been over $10,000. That doesn't even include, I mean, Ryan Fox on the European tour last week was over $10,000 or excuse me, not Ryan Fox, Jordan Smith. Um, he won it's just it's just an unbelievable run. We've kind of been documenting this with guys who are 20 to 1 or shorter. They're winning at a, an incredibly disproportionate rate. Guys over $10,000 are scoring points like they've never scored before. They're winning golf tournaments like they've never scored before. Last season, actually, that was the stat that I did before. It's like last, last season was crazy in terms of chalk winners, and it's seemingly not slowing down anytime soon. I have my reasons for it. I, I think it is... These guys are really good, and also all the live guys that were kind of in the middle of the board have kind of left. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but it's it's crazy the amount of guys that are winning in the 10K range. So um, we've got six of them this week, and I think there's a pretty clear delineation. As as high as I am on Aaron Wise and and, and Billy Horschel, kind of longer term, specifically Aaron Wise, it's a it's a big four here. It's Scotty Scheffler, it's Victor Hovland, it's Colin Morikow, it's Tony Finau. I think we can spend at least a hair of time on on each one of these guys. So let's let's start with Scotty. 
Similar story here for Scotty. Um, doesn't play particularly well at the CJ Cup, and it's because he lost seven strokes in the short game categories. The putter, uh, which was that was the first event in which he switched to that prototype, Scotty Cameron, uh, didn't help, right? That was actually his worst putting performance going back to the six strokes that he lost at the Tour Championship in 2021. So over a year ago, not the most recent Tour Championship. So we are very much mired in a Scotty Scheffler putting slump. The good news, I suppose, is that the ball striking is elite levels, right? I don't know how far we want to go back here, um, but I I imagine he is probably one of the the best ball strikers in this field over the last 50 rounds, over the last 24 rounds, um, even with these putting woes. So, So really, it's kind of a simple equation. When Scotty putts again, he's probably going to win again right? Or, or come very, very close to it. Um, if I were you, I would look up Scotty's history on Paz Palom. And when I say, if I were you, I'm, I might as well just, just do it right now. We'll look up his history on, on Paz Palom. It's not going to give us obviously the strokes gained, uh, metrics the way that we want them, the putting metrics, but if he's had success on Paz Palom, we can kind of make an assumption that it is, not the worst surface in the world for him here. Let's just sort by, yeah, I mean, he's been, he's been Scotty Scheffler, right? He only has, he actually only has three starts on Paz Palom. T18 at the, at this event in 2019, fourth at this event in 2021, uh, and then the PGA Championship T8 that was at Kiowa. So yeah, it's, it's really good. I just think we're obviously going to, like, I, I'd prefer to be early than late on Scotty, right? Um, with this class of field that we have here, or at least the top-heavy nature of it, with Victor Hovland going for his third victory in a row, Colin Morikawa, Tony Finau, um, I, I imagine Scotty's the odd man out here. You know, when we get to the Wednesday live chat, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time, Rick Run Good YouTube channel, we'll, we'll know how popular Scotty's going to be this week, but I could see myself getting to Scotty pretty, pretty easily in some of the game theory formats. Victor's next, and Victor's great, right? So... This is obviously a great course for him. He's won here twice in a row. He's uh, played two events this season. He's got a, a, a T5 at the Zozo, a T21 at the CJ Cup. Both are fine. The always lurking questions about his short game have have been put to bed recently, right? He has lost strokes just once in the short game categories over his last seven measured starts. Um, he's gained strokes in putting in all of them. He's lost strokes around the green twice in his last seven. So I think he's kind of silenced that a little bit, right? The the approach play has been a little bit inconsistent, um, but we know long-term he is literally one of the best to ever do it. Now that is a very small sample size when you compare, um, you know, Victor to like, you know, Tiger, Dustin Johnson, or, you know, Justin Rose or Jason, like guys that have just a ton of, 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 unbelievable stats, but like Morikawa, Zalatoris, um, Victor Hovland, it's very early in their career, but they are elite, elite ball strikers in the game, at least in the, in the strokes gained era and the shot link era. So I don't think you're going to have any concerns here with Victor. I imagine he's going to be quite popular. Um, the guy that I'm just big buying on is, is, is Colin Morikawa, right? I mean, this is a, a guy who was great at the president's cup. Um, he's the probably best iron and approach player in the world. He's got a really sour putter that lost that's lost him 12 strokes over his last eight competitive rounds but he is capable of doing this and gaining five and gaining six so no concerns there um 
you know, I hate to be so bullish on all of these guys, but Finau is next, and Finau is so good, right? Don't forget that this is the first time we've seen Tony Finau since the President's Cup, and it's the first time he's going to debut in this season. Um, Two wins at the end of last year, a T5, he's fixed the putter, the putter's phenomenal. The upside, what you love about Tony Finau is the upside. There are very few golfers who have gained 17 strokes in a single event um, at all last year. He did it three times, and he's done it three times in his last like 10 starts. I, I mean, it's really kind of unbelievable upside stuff. So when I look at this 10K range, it's pretty clear um, I'm going to let kind of ownership and game theory dictate this a little bit. You know, if I'm, if I'm looking to be a little bit different, I think you can go to Scotty. I think you can go to Colin guys that all you're asking for are their putters to bounce back. I think Tony Finau being a thousand dollars cheaper than Scotty Scheffler with the track record, the two top 16 finishes here in his last four years, I think he's probably going to be quite popular. I'll be interested to see what the industry does with wise and Horschel. Horschel's got a good record around here. Wise has a great record around here. And wise is like, if you've been following this for a year or 18 months, it's the same story. He's fixed the putter. He's gaining a ton of strokes in that area now. He's still one of the better tee to green players in the world. It's showing up in the results. He's going to break through and win eventually. I don't know when, I don't know where, but he's getting a lot of my investments, whether it's here whether it's in finishing positions, whether it's in the jock market, whether it's whatever, I'm just like heavily invested in this guy's future. And I'm going to continue to be until this stat profile kind of proves otherwise. And when you look at what he's done in Mayakoba, you saw it on the cheat sheet. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening, I'll just describe it to you. Three of the last four years are, are top 15 finishes. T10, miscut, runner-up, T15. That's the, the trend for Aaron Wise. So... Really exciting stuff coming out of him. I don't know if he's going to win this week. I think he's going to win <laughs> soon, which is probably what I said at this, at this time last year. If you like this kind of data-driven research into golf tournaments, do me a favor and just subscribe to the YouTube channel. Trying to get to 25,000 subscribers. I can't believe we're already at um, you know over 20,000. It's it's pretty crazy, but that really appreciate the support. We're going to keep diving in every single week. Um, the 9K range is really interesting. Uh, we've got guys who are playing well. We've got some some stat entities or little nuggets that I want to share with you guys. So it starts with Taylor Montgomery, who if you are looking at the global version of the cheat sheet, you are seeing nothing but green across the board. It's eight straight weeks inside the top 15. I'll say that again. Eight straight weeks inside the top 15. It's almost unheard of, right? To be playing that well for this long. Now, some of that does go back to the Corn Ferry Tour uh, last year, but his four starts on the PGA Tour are half of that. Yes, he is likely to regress with the putter at some point because right now, um, the four events that we have, if he were to be that good of a putter plus 4.7 plus 5 plus 5.8 plus 11 he'd be the greatest putter on planet earth that's probably not likely right it's probably not likely that he is shattering every putting record that we're ever going to see but this success you know is sustained it's been basically nine months of of a bunch of top 10 a bunch of top 15 finishes so it's it can't all be the putter or else he would have regressed by now so i i think this is um 
going to come crashing down at some point with the putter. But outside of that, I, I just think you have to be incredibly bullish on him. <clears throat> Mav McNeely, I'm, I'm interested to see what the industry does here because he opened up uh, at like 18 to 1 on DraftKings Sportsbook, which was shorter than Colin Morikawa. Morikawa immediately got bet down to 18 to 1, which is reasonable. But if you're looking at it from that perspective, McNeely being $9,400 is almost a steal, right? It's like, what do the books know? What does DraftKings think they know or the sports book that, that we don't or that the DFS side of things is not seeing? Um, because McNeely at $9,400 compared to his odds is, is kind of a, a little bit of a steal. The guys that I'm more interested in, uh, the three that I'm most interested in here, I think in the, in the 9K range are Tom Hoagie, Jason Day, who will deep dive, and Brendan Todd. Um, there's a lot to unwrap here, but if you're into this, that's, that's why you're here. So let's look at Hoagie. Hoagie slumped last summer. Was it last summer? Right. Basically till the end of the season. And it was really horrible play. He missed like six out of seven cuts in a row. He's back, baby. Right. Plus four, plus seven, plus six in his last three measured, uh, approach weeks. The one that we don't have measured was a T9, the Zozo championship. So now his last four results are T12, fourth, ninth, 13th. You go back to the tour championship. That was a top 10, but he actually started like 21st or something that week. So he gained nearly five strokes to the field at the tour championship where all the best players are. So yeah, Hoagie's feeling himself right now. Um, Jason day is doing something that he has not done, and I tweeted this out, since 2017. He has gained strokes on approach in seven consecutive events. And I'm not really talking about small gains. So during that stretch of seven, he's got gains of four and a half, three and a half, five, and four on approach alone. Has not done it since the end of the 2017 season. He was ranked seventh in the world the last time he completed this feat. The last two specifically have turned into results. T8 at, at Shriners in Las Vegas, T11 at the CJ Cup. He seems to be figuring it out, right? This is pretty um, This is pretty impressive stuff. It's a stat profile that if I would remove the name, if I would remove the idea that I know what the last 10 years of Jason Day has looked like, if I just saw this stat profile for any golfer in the field, I'd be pretty interested in investing. And then the other guy is Brendan Todd, who has a ton of uh, great history around Mayakoba. I'll pull that up first. So he's gone T11, T8, uh, and then he won this event in, tw- in, in 2019. So that's already exciting enough. The exciting, even more exciting part about this is these two pop weeks that we've had this year on approach. It's it's going to be inconsistent, but Brandon Todd gained five and a half strokes on approach at the Fortinet and seven on approach at the CJ Cup. It resulted in two top 10 finishes because he is one of the best putters on the tour. He's gained strokes putting in 12 consecutive events and he's just constantly gaining. So if he can marry this pop approach week with his already great putting on a golf course he's had nothing but success at, that's really exciting stuff. That's really exciting stuff. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so Brendan Todd hanging out there at the bottom of the 9K range is certainly going to be um, someone you have to consider. What to do with Brian Harmon? Brian Harmon, I believe, is um, one of the more interesting golfers in this field 
for a couple of reasons. Let's break down the Brian Harmon dilemma here. He's $8,900. Brian Harmon on paper should be perfect for Mayakoba, right? Keep it in the fairway. Um, he's not particularly long off the tee, but he's probably driver nine iron where most guys are driver wedge. And there are a couple of shorties and these short par threes are not going to be too difficult for him. And his results coming in are splendid, right? This is seven events in a row uh, in which he's made the cut in each of them. His last three are three top 25 finishes. He had the T3 in Memphis and the T6 at the Open Championship all during that stretch. This is really, really good stuff. So what's the problem, Rick? The problem is this event is not played on paper. Um, And he has been horrible in Mayakoba. This is going to be his 10th, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. This is going to be his 10th start in Mayakoba. His best finish is a T26. He's missed the cut three times. He's consistently losing strokes to the field. Uh, a lot of 50th and 60th and 70th place finishes. Nothing really that 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 jumps off the screen at you. So this is the most interesting guy on the slate. I think it's a lot of do you trust recent form and course history or course fit? Or do you look at, say, nine trips to Mayakoba? Maybe this is a course that doesn't fit his eye. Maybe there's something else going on here. You could short him. Dare I say that works? I shorted uh, Seamus Power last week in the jock market. That worked out absolutely horribly because he won and got the full $25 a share payout. I shorted him at $7, $8, $7 or $8. Um, so... That backfired on me, but you could short somebody or you could buy. If you bought shares of Seamus last week, you were great. If you bought shares of Thomas Dietrich, who we'll talk about in a second, you made 12 bucks a share. Kevin Yu, who actually, you know, outside of the Seamus power stuff, I was pretty high on Dietrich, very high on you. Ben Griffin modeled out great. Uh, Justin Lauer, like everything else but Seamus power basically worked out last week. And if Shank and Shelton would have figured their stuff out on the weekend, um, I could have probably overcome that that Seamus Power short. Uh, this is stock market DFS. So you can buy, sell, short, trade shares of golfers. Uh, we do a power hour every Wednesday night, 8.15 p.m. Eastern time that um, we go through the live trading, but you can put your bids in now. You can put your shorts in now. You can do whatever you want. Uh, the code you're looking for is Rick. There's a link in the description. You can get your $100 deposit bonus and you can um, do better than I did last week. D-Trade. Okay, $8,800, which I believe is a significant price decrease from last week. He was like $10,000 last week. Ten five, yeah. So the roll continues. A runner-up finish at the Bermuda Championship at $10,500. Now he is $8,800 and continues to play well. The... I get that this is clearly a more a, a a better field, but it's really only like four guys at the top better, right? I mean, could we argue that the way Thomas Dietrich's playing right now, he's a top eight player in this field? Could we argue that? Could we argue it? Is he better than Billy Horschel? Hmm, I don't know. Is he better than Tom Hoagie? Maybe. Is he better than Matt McNeely? Probably. Right. So I think you could argue it's a pretty good price on Thomas Dietrich, who's been absolutely phenomenal, 8,800 bucks. I want to take a second to talk about Athletic Greens, which has become a staple in my daily routine. And for those of you who have been following for a while, you know that I take gut health very seriously. So I started taking AG1 as an attempt to get everything down there under control. 
And I've been taking it for a few weeks and I feel much better throughout the day. I'm having way less acid reflux and I've been able to stay focused for longer when I'm sitting in front of a computer. It's one scoop of a green drink that I take first thing in the morning. And I know what you're thinking, a green drink? Like, trust me, I've I've tried all of them and most have a chalky or a chunky taste to them, which is not great. Most smell horrible. I'll, I'll admit all of that. Uh, athletic Greens for me bucks that trend. It's smooth. There's there's no chunks. The smell is is just fine, and it's easy enough for me to get get it down when I take it at five thirty in the morning. It's legit seventy five high quality vitamins, probiotics, and adaptogens. So it's no surprise that I'm actually feeling better. And when I rattle off the benefits, it sounds like it's going to be really expensive. Uh, it's quite reasonable. It comes out to about three dollars a day, and I tell my wife all the time. There is no price that I wouldn't pay to feel good, especially gut stuff, because it controls so much other things that go on in your body. So imagine paying $3 a day to feel good. That's some of the best ROI I could ever imagine. Um, So if you want to get involved, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. Uh, visit athleticgreens.com slash 300 yards. Again, that's athleticgreens.com 300 yards to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I think the rest of the AK range just kind of worries me in general, right? You have Keith Mitchell, who I love the way he drives the ball. It's not really turning into results. He's got a bunch of like 30th to 60th place finishes. He's not been good at this event. He's His best finish is a 56th, right? I mean, it's just it just hasn't been good losing a lot of strokes kind of. Um, <clears throat> well, we don't know where they're, where he's losing them, but it's it's likely good. Uh, the the accuracy off the tee, right? If that's if that's one of the big things, he's a little bit hot, better than average um, in terms of fairways gained, but he's where he where he picks up most of his strokes off the tee is is, is via distance. Uh, Andrew Putnam was the other one that has quietly been playing pretty well. Let me uh, I'm going to loop kind of Putnam into like the seven K conversation because if you go to the power rankings and you look at the last thirty six rounds, just raw strokes gained, all the players in, in this field, all over the world. Um, last 36 rounds, Tony Finau is the best. Tony Finau and Taylor Montgomery, the only two golfers over 36 rounds to be gaining more than two strokes per round. Montgomery, well over that, 215. Uh, Finau, even more over that, 2.44. Then you get a couple of guys in the 7K range. So Robbie Shelton is third. Let's look, um, and unfortunately, we don't have the strokes game breakdown from last week, but let's just look at Robbie Shelton's rounds last week because I know the first two were really good. And then his Saturday was not. And we'll look at what he did on Sunday. Where is Robbie Shelton? Here he is. Um, yeah, I mean, he gained nearly eight strokes over the first two rounds, lost 1.8 on Saturday, and lost one on Sunday. A little bit disappointing. I'm willing to buy back into that, right? Just because of you can see he's been the third best player in this field over the last 36. He's been better than Scotty Scheffler. Again, raw strokes gained. Justin Lauer in here as well, right? Lauer very quietly finished, what, T9 last week? Just, you know, got out to a decent start and then just kind of held that position all week long. And then Dean Burmeester is here. So this is the other guy in the top 10 who's in the 7K range. Dean Dean Burmeester is uh, seventh in raw strokes gained over the course of the last 36 rounds. Look at Burmey. Look at Burmey go. So he's played twice this 
PGA Tour season. It's a fourth at Sanderson Farms and a T37 at Shriners. He plays all over. Right, so he has a European tour start the BMW PGA Championship. He missed the cut there. He's got the Corn Ferry results from the end of last year. That's when the Corn Ferry is the most difficult. Two top five finishes there. You go back to the Scottish Open and the Open Championship. Finished T10, T11 those two weeks. So we've got a pretty solid stretch of golf where he has consistently gained six, seven, eight, nine, ten strokes to the field all over the globe. All over different tours, major championships, stacked fields, Corn Ferry events, Corn Ferry Tour Championship, uh, PGA Tour events this year. I like that. I'm not going to lie. I like a game that travels. There's this weird thing that like when you just get dropped in a field, I don't care if it's a major or a Corn Ferry Tour event or a weaker PGA Tour, Like it doesn't matter. You go out and you beat the guys in front of you. And some guys that's hard for, and it's hard to do it consistently. And sometimes you'll see, okay, they play well in weaker field events, but they can't figure it out in majors. Or some guys are like really good in majors, but they can't figure it out in other situations. It's just whatever field you put in front of Dean Burmeester, um, he seems to play well. One of the other things that I like looking at as we get further down the board is how these guys played over the last two rounds the week prior, right? So what I've got in the Holy Grail now is just last week's Bermuda, just the players in this field, just rounds three and four. So Max McGreevy goes out and gains five on Saturday, two on Sunday. He's in the field this week. He's way down the board. He's $6,200. We can get to him. David Lingmurth, same thing. He's 6300 bucks. He gained three and three. Patrick Rogers is in the range that we're still in, $7,900. Now, he did a lot of work on Sunday. He was good on Saturday, 1.2, but he gained five on Sunday. Here's that Justin Lauer, right? Just a very consistent, I mean, let, let's just like, let me add in Friday too for Lauer. Yeah. I mean, he just gained every day, didn't he? Yeah. Look at that. I mean, Justin Lauer goes 3.7, one, two, two. Gains every day, at least a stroke every day. Gains two or more in three of the four rounds last week. Com combine that with the already great play that he had. Th that was a very quiet, impressive week from Justin Lauer. And I don't think anybody cared about it. And I don't think anybody noticed it. And it was just solid, which is what he's, which is what he's been up to. If you're trying to save money in that 7K range, um, JJ Spawn is interesting, right? If you trust the model that says accuracy is important, uh, one of the most accurate drivers of the golf ball, and he's got decent results around this golf course, 14th, 3rd, 27th. That's three results in his last uh, in his last five starts. He's got two top 25s in his last three. The other one would be Joel Damon. So let's go back to the Holy Grail and go back and look at this Paspalum argument. Do I still have this loaded up or no? I might still have it. Yeah, I do. Okay. So when you sort just pure strokes gained on past Palum, Joel Damon's pretty high up there. Um, in fact, there's only one golfer, Emiliano Grillo, who has been better, who has played more rounds than Joel Damon. Joel Damon's got 33 rounds on past Palum, uh, 1.53. Emiliano Grillo has 48 rounds on Paspala, 1.59. Impressive stuff. So obviously one of Joel Damon's wins comes on Paspala. That was a victory at the 2021 Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship. But look at these other results. You know, a bunch of top 25s, a T12, a T6. That T6 was in Mayakoba. T20 in Mayakoba. Made the cut last year in Mayakoba. Um, the only event he did not play particularly well, I guess, was the 2022 Punta Cana in which he withdrew 
But at the time he withdrew, he was gaining strokes to the field. I don't remember that one specifically. I don't know if he hurt himself or got sick or anything like that, but he's never lost strokes on Paz Palom in three, six, nine events. Uh, I think that might be something, right? And maybe it's not Paz Palom. Maybe it's just weaker fields and um, windier areas or tropical areas or whatever, but I, I think it's I think that's something. Okay, the 6K range. How popular is Kevin Yu going to be, right? And probably rightfully so. $6,900 and got everybody all the money last week, right? A, a third place finish. Um, we don't have the ball striking breakdown, but I imagine just based on his his DNA that it was probably pretty good. We've been talking a lot about this kid and he's putting up good results and he's still in the $6,000 price range. I think he's going to be popular and I think it's well warranted. Um, the other guys. So uh, Z Chang Dow, I'm going to change his name in the database. He goes by Marty Dow now. So so here's here's Marty Dow. Had, had a good week last week. I'll... Um, I'll change this form in the database here. So T17 last week, that's his best finish of the season. He had a T21 at the Fortinet. This is a really high upside, exciting kid, right? He won in July on the Corn Ferry. He had a third place finish in uh, a playoff event in the Corn Ferry last year. And he started off his PGA Tour, full-fledged PGA Tour career this season with three made cuts in four starts, two of them with top 25s. I think that's worth consideration at $6,900. We talked about um, McGreevy at 62. Um, before I pull up his stat profile, what I remember about Max McGreevy is he did this before where he popped off and finished, let's call it a top five in an event. And I don't, I don't think there was any evidence leading into the event that that was coming. And I don't think he did anything after that. Let's see if I'm right, because I think he just might be almost like a, a Garrick Higo where he just pops up and it's impossible to predict and it's impossible to know if it's going to keep going. But let's see. That's that's my that's my hunch on McGreevy. Let's let's find out. Pretty darn good. Pretty darn good hunch, Rick, because here we go. Here are his starts dating back to the Canadian Open. Missed cut, missed cut, missed cut. T13. Missed cut, missed cut, missed cut. T5. Missed cut, missed cut, missed cut, missed cut, T8 in Bermuda. Uh, it was almost a three missed cut top 15 pattern, wasn't it? But he missed it. He missed it by a week at Shriners. Um, so as as exciting as this is, the idea of getting a guy who's $6,200 coming off a top 10, I'm excited about that. But do you think this is predictable? I don't know. Um, you know, he played the weekend phenomenally, absolutely phenomenally. If that's enough for you, he's only 6,200. I'm going to, I don't know. I might have to do a little more research. I might have to find out. I might have to determine how risky I want to be on Max McGreevy, but you now know the stats and you can make this, this decision for yourself. Who else in this $6,000 range would be interesting? Well, let's just do it like this. Let's just sort the 6k range uh, by total strokes gained over the last 36. Augusto Nunez is about to drop out of this, right? He's got, um, yeah, he's, he's got an event that's, that's, that's pacing him and he's about to drop out of this. Michael Kim also on his, on his way out of this as well. Um, guys that are on the trajectory upwards, Brandon Wu, 6,900. Uh, it was good to see, it was good to see Harry Hall at least make the cut 
in Bermuda, right? He's starting to figure it out. How about Aaron Badley? I think we might've talked about him last week. I don't know if it was here, maybe on the live chat, but he's been playing much better. And I think he might've gotten a little too much shine in Bermuda to be super under the radar this week. But this is now five straight events in which he's gained strokes. T6 in Bermuda, T36 at the Fortinet. Then last year's playoffs for the Corn Ferry were T37, T28, T46. He's playing much better. Uh, and now you get him get him back uh, this week in, in, in Mayakoba. Does anybody else stand out here? Not particularly, right? Just kind of looking through. I don't, uh, I don't think so. Okay, here's what we'll do. We'll run a model and see if anybody else pops up. Okay, custom model, rickrungood.com. Um, the new model, I love it. I love everything about it. I hope you guys are enjoying it. The feedback I got was splendid. So thank you very much for that. Uh, there's obviously much more to come on the website and on the model and on every other tool because um, I want to make it the best and that's my goal. So boy, okay, we got a lot to talk through here. Let's start, um, do the last 36 rounds. Now, what do we know? What do we know? What do we know? What do we know? Let's do, let's start with course history, right? Let's just go to um, go to El Chameleon and put on 10. And then what we will also do is we will go to putting and we will put on, um, well, we don't have the putting. Okay. So, oof, I almost duped myself. I forgot we don't have the putting for um, past pollen. So what I could also do is like put a little bit of waiting on some of the other past pollen courses, right? Like Grand Reserve, that's Puerto Rico. And then um, where else can we go here? We could do Corrales, right? So we've got like 10 on El Chameleon. We've got two on Grand Reserve. We've got two on Corrales just to kind of give us a little more of that Paspalum exposure. And then we will do driving accuracy for 12, which we think is is pretty important. And then what I'm going to do is... Um, I want to do strokes gained approach last 36. Let's put like 20 there. And then let's do strokes gained putting for last 24, put 20 there. I'm kind of getting a little freaky here. So I've got 34 remaining. Oh, you know what I could also do? Let's do these short par threes. So let's put, so par threes from 125 to 150, let's put like 10 there, right? That's, it's a, it's kind of unique that they have that. Um, so we've got 24 left. Where do I want to put these? Let's put, um, 10 on birdie or better. And our last 14 on fantasy points gain. I'm going to want to mess around with this on Wednesday. Um, let me just save this real quick. I'm going to save this as Mayakoba 2023 season. I work in seasons. So I'm going to save this so I can bring it up on um, bring it up on Wednesday. I'm going to want to mess around with this. But right now, my number one golfer is Tony Fee now. Probably no surprise. Well, no, no surprise. Look at the next three. Look at the next four. Look at the next eight. Brendan Todd is two. Love it. Emiliano Grillo, three, gets a lot of love for 
um, recent putting, gets a lot of love for longer term approach, gets a lot of love for those past Palm courses, right? Pretty good. Andrew Putnam's fourth. Remember, I looped him into the 7K range and I said quietly he's been playing really well. Robbie Shelton's five. No problem going back there. Thomas Dietrich is six. The thing that Dietrich struggles with is, is, is um, fairways. You can see it. It's red over here. Everything else very, very good. 109th in driving accuracy. Tom Hoagie, seven. Justin Lauer, eight. Beautiful, beautiful. Scotty Scheffler, nine. And that's with the you know, the knock on the shorter term putting, 89th in short term putting. Everything else though, pretty stellar. Then Mark Hubbard's 10th. So Mark Hubbard, uh, disappointing miscut for a lot of people last week. I avoided that one. Didn't avoid the the power stuff, but avoided Hubbard. A couple of notables. Um, Victor Hovland's 13, Aaron Baddeley's 12. <laughs> Billy Horschel, who's $10,000 is 17th. Oh, I didn't talk about Will Gordon and I probably should have. Will Gordon is 18th on my list. Um, that was one bad round last week, wasn't it? Played, he's been playing great, played great for, I think, three rounds, had a horrible Saturday, 76 or something like that. These guys like Shank, who I don't think is in the field this week, um, but Will Gordon, Robbie Shelton feels close, doesn't it? They feel pretty darn close. So I, I want to mess with this. This is not a model I'm super happy with. Um, I don't know. I it's just really random and, and just kind of off the top of my head. I'm, I'm okay with it, but I think I'm going to want to mess around with it on Wednesday. So I'll see you at the live chat, 3 p.m. Eastern time, Rick Run Good YouTube channel. Uh, obviously more content coming this week. If you haven't signed up yet to either participate or and or be a commissioner in the fantasy leagues, that link is in the description. So looking forward to get that, getting that off the ground. Uh, but for now, hey, tweet me at Rick Run Good. Leave a comment below. Best of luck and I'll talk to you guys soon.